Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Brazil and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. One quick reminder, if you guys and girls do not mind um, giving us a couple reviews on iTunes specifically or anywhere that you can review or rate the podcast, um, it would sincerely help in getting more and more people to understand what some of our Olympic athletes and hopefuls are going through it gives us a little bit of bump in the the algorithm in the iTunes story, and that's always important. So the more people that can listen to this, the more our Olympic athletes can get a little of the recognition that I truly think that they deserve. But thank you for that ahead of time. I appreciate it. Today, we have Troy Murphy of USA Skiing. He is a moguler. I don't know if that's the correct term, but I love it. Uh, Troy is an incredible athlete. Um, he was in the 2018 Games. Such a cool dude. He was 2014 Rookie of the Year. So clearly, he's had a, a nice career that he's made for himself. Uh, he lives in a beautiful part of, of the country. When I spoke with him, he was up in Maine. He does a lot of things. Um, he has an amazing golf tournament where it's uh, a lot of the, the money gets donated. Um, he has actually recently retired. I don't know if this was the first interview he did after his retirement. I'm sure it wasn't, but it'd be pretty cool if it was. But Troy was such a fun person to talk to. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy this episode with him. But first, have you ever wanted to launch your own podcast, but didn't know where to start? If so, you're in luck because I've personally just partnered with launchingpodcasts.com, a step-by-step -step video course to easily launch a podcast. I used all of the information from this course to launch my podcast and I have seen some amazing results. I mean, we've had over 5,000 people listen to this um, on literally every single continent except Antarctica, which I don't know, maybe someone downloaded it and listened to there. That'd be pretty cool. Um, why did I start this podcast? So I could grow my band, brand, build some amazing relationships specifically with these athletes and become a thought leader in this space. And now you can too. Head over to launchingpodcast.com and get $50 off by using my promo code Mike at checkout. That's launchingpodcasts with an S.com, promo code Mike for $50 off. And with further ado, here is Troy Murphy. All right, today, special guest, Troy Murphy, USA skiing discipline moguls, born June 13th, 1992 from Bethel, Maine, started skiing at the age of nine, kind of, we'll get into that story, it's kind of cute, uh, won 2014 fifth rookie of the year, 2015 national championship, national champions, been on Team USA for five years, competed in the 2018 Olympics, and Troy recently retired. Troy, thanks for hanging out with us today, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, I'm excited. Yeah. Dude, the pleasure is all mine. I'm the one that gets to talk to the Olympians. You guys just get to talk to me. I don't know what the if there's any positivity that comes out of that, but <laughs> let's uh, let's focus more on you, man. Um, you know, growing up in Maine, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in the. You know, I'm from the Northeast, but that's the the very very Northeast. I mean, what are the mountains like? How do you get into skiing? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, growing up here was awesome. Uh, I'm from Bethel, like you said, and it's just like a really small town in the mountains. Um, close to Mount Washington, New Hampshire. So they're pretty big for, like, as far as East Coast mountains go. Mm -hmm. And here it was just, like, kind of outside all the time. Like, whether it was summer or winter, I was either out riding my dirt bike or skiing or, you know, swimming. Like, there's just so much to do outdoors. So that was kind of my upbringing. Um, and I got into skiing actually through riding motocross. We had, like, a little dirt bike track out back of my uh, grandfather's house. And one day we were riding and the, like, the head coach of the freestyle team showed up and was like, hey, you know, that kid riding dirt bikes like super fast and jumps would probably be a good fit for, uh, for freestyle skiing. So that's kind of how I got into it. That is awesome. And you, so that's actually like a really funny, like little, like, how does he yeah. make that? Is it just more like the mentality of he clearly does not care? Let's see what he can do. 
I think, yeah, for sure. Like, that's probably a big part of it. There are, like, a couple things that correlate. But, yeah, no, that's definitely the the biggest thing. Yeah, because, I mean, I've definitely rode on a dirt bike before, but I mm-hmm. don't think I could be an Olympic skier. I don't know. I'm sure there's <laughs> there's a couple steps in between, right? But, yeah, uh, it might not work very well. <laughs> no, man, that's awesome. And then, so, so you, got into Olymp- uh, you got into freestyle skiing. You eventually went to the Olympics for moguls, though, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so tell it, how do you, like, where is, is – does every mountain have a mogul course? Like, I honestly don't know. I know I sound a little silly when I ask that, but like, how do you find that? Or does that happen upon you? Did you just like, Hey, this looks interesting. Let's try it out. That's a good question. Actually. Um, every mountain used to have a mogul course for sure. Like, I mean, back in the day they didn't groom every trail or they Mm. groomed like no trails. So every mountain kind of was all mogul, (laughs) uh, which is kind of awesome, I think. But yeah, now it's really hard to find, unfortunately. Like, um, you know, the mountains do a really good job of grooming all their trails. And of course, that's what most families want. But it's definitely hard to find um, moguls. And it's even harder to find like good moguls that are actually like friendly and inviting. Um, so that's something that I wish that more places did was like have a, a maintained mogul course open to the public that people could just get in and try. Because I think that's the, you know, the best way to get exposed to it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I got into it because that guy, same guy, Jeff Yingling, who was the, um, met me on the motocross track, his main focus is moguls. So we would do like, we would do moguls, slope style, uh, like bigger and half pipe. But, and I did them all, but I kind of like, liked moguls the best because it was like a kind of a combination of everything. Very cool. And how old were you when this, uh, when this started to happen? Yeah, right around probably like nine or 10. Oh, okay. So you got into it that early. So you've been yeah, doing it for, yeah, doing it for almost, a while for sure. Yeah. But then it was just like, every weekend with my buddies, not serious at all. Mm-hmm. And when, when did it start to become serious or, or at least when did it start to click with you that like, Oh wow, this is like, this is a mm-hmm. potential career path. The career path thing. Not, uh, I mean, even when you're going to the Olympics for mogul skiing, it's not a very great career path. Unless well, you're like winning it's still everything. taking up all your time. So for I would sure. call it a career yeah. for at least a couple of years, but like yeah. when, when did it click and you were just like, maybe this is something I, full-time there we go yeah yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah I, I would say high school probably or like eighth grade yeah. i went to gould academy here in bethel because my dad worked there so i was able to go for free which is huge and they had a ski team so we would ski like every every day after school all week mm-hmm. and that's when i kind of like became a lot more serious and after that i decided i was going to defer from colorado college to pursue it like full-time and try to make the u.s ski team so mm-hmm. yeah high school is where it ramped up very cool very cool and then in 2014 you were the fist rookie of the year what what did that mean did that solidify it did that like give you a not i don't want to say motivation but did that like kind of lock it in your brain that like okay i am very capable of doing this going to the olympics i mean 2014 was an olympic year so did that kind of motivate you in any way or really kind of lock it in to make sure that you keep going yeah, for sure. 2014 was a crazy year. It was my first winner on the U.S. ski team. Um, and, yeah, first winner skiing full World Cup, like traveling to Japan and France, you know, all these places to ski. And Very so, yeah, cool. winning – and actually it was, like, the runner-up to make the Olympic team that year. So it was a big breakout year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, getting that Rookie of the Year award was super cool. Like, a lot of, of big names have gotten that in the past. And they award it at the end of the year, at like, whatever the last World Cup is. So, like – they give the crystal glow to the guy who won and they give you the rookie of the year thing. So it's cool to be recognized with like the best mm-hmm. in the world at that time. That is sweet. And you, you kind of said it in passing, but you were runner up to go to the Olympics that year. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I think we only sent two men to the, to Sochi and I would have been the third. Ooh. Yeah. And did that, 
It was a bummer for sure, but it wasn't like I had built up like going mm-hmm. to the Olympics forever because it was my first year on the team. So more of it's just like a motivator. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah, I could see that kind of. Yeah, if you just go in with like, hey, let's have a good time and come that close. It's like, wait, maybe I should uh, let's let's try just a little bit harder the next time around. Yeah, so, sure. And again, it clearly works, man. And then so you go from rookie of the year 2015, you're the national champion. What does national champion mean? Is that just number one in the country at the end of the World Cup cycle, or is it a specific yeah. race? Tell us a little bit about that. It, exactly. It's actually just like a specific race. Every year there's a national championship, and it's just everybody, all the mogul skiers from the U.S. go to that. Uh, or, you know, everybody who's above a certain age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. And, yeah, so, like, every year we all compete against each other, and, yeah, that year and Steamboat uh, won that, so got the national title, which was super cool. Another thing to kind of add to the Heck yeah. Resume and keep the momentum rolling. Yeah, I mean, two years in a row, that's pretty impressive. And as you said, keep the momentum rolling. And um, I guess, it, you know what? Let's take a time out. Can you explain moguls to us? Yeah. <laughs> I can. I, I, so it's, it's one of those things, if I see it, I know what it is. But gosh, I could not explain what's going on. I'm just like, oh, that looks like it hurts. That's yeah, all I understand. Sure. Yeah. So could you, could you give us a little rundown? Sorry about that, Troy. No problem. So yeah, it's just when you're riding up the chairlift at the ski resort and you look down and there's like the bumps that kind of a lot of people try to avoid. That's what we do. But it's like a man-made course nowadays. So it's a section of moguls or bumps, one jump, and then a really long section of moguls, and one more jump, and then a final section of moguls. So um, the course is like that every time. They're like 250 meters long. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we pretty much like try to ski down as cleanly and as fast as possible and do two big tricks. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. That was easy. Great. Great yeah. explanation. Thank you for that. Yeah, Again, for sure. If I can, if I see it, I know what it is, but I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I could quite explain it to somebody. Yeah. Um, for those listening, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely look it up. It's oh, absolutely. Cool I'm sure. I'm sure if they're listening to this one, they at least have some sort of idea of what, yeah. uh, <laughs> what, what we're talking about. Um, yeah. So then... So as you were talking about 2014 Rookie of the Year, 2015 National Champ, using that momentum, going into 2016, I then saw you kind of had like a, uh, I don't want to say litany, but you had a, a few different injuries that kind of held you out of many of the races. What, um, what happened first? And then kind of how did you deal with that emotionally, understanding that, okay, this is a real possibility going forward that injuries are going to come up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2016 was a bad one for me. It, it started in Finland at the first World Cup of the Year like a day or two before in training, I collapsed my lung. I landed on my back and Ooh. yeah, that was a crazy, just a crazy place to be to collapse the lung. But <laughs> so that sent me back a little bit. Um, and then I was skiing kind of stiff throughout that year after that. I actually, the recovery time for that's pretty quick. It's like a month probably. Um, and then, so I came back, but then my back was like blown up in Japan. I was skiing and you know, tweaked my back and then like couldn't really even walk for like that night. It was pretty brutal. So that was pretty much the end of that year for me. And it was a rough one. Definitely did. You know, I went in going like thinking it was going to be awesome and obviously did not go awesome. But after that injury, I kind of just told myself that I wasn't going to like that. It's 2016, 2017 or no, 2015, 2016 was in the past and I wasn't going to like spend any more time thinking about it. And it was all about just getting my back healthy that summer and getting ready for the next year. Mm-hmm. And um, qualifying for the Olympics, how, what is that? So you explained it a little bit before how you were runner up. Is it a, is it a year long process with specific races? Cause I know every sport's a little different. So if you don't mm-hmm. mind actually explaining that, because that could make the difference between, you know, do you, do you gun for it or do you actually just sit down and rest? So I'm just kind of curious if you can right. explain that a little bit. Yeah. So for us, it does, uh, Olympic qualification doesn't start until like the season of the Olympics. So 
after I had my injury, the next whole season, even that didn't count. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, you know, just pretty much from December until end of January, right before the Olympics is when the qualifying period happened. So it's really last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so, I, I, I still had a whole year to, to okay. get ready. And that 20, what was it 2016, 2017 year went really well. Awesome. Okay. That's always good to hear. And so I guess that's kind of, you know, the, the, the silver lining of the injury is at least it came at a, you know, quote unquote, good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for <laughs> uh, sure. Just that allows you to recover, get back to get back to normal. I mean, it's frustrating because if you're not racing, you're probably not accumulating points. You're probably not making too much money also. But uh, right. at the same time, it's just one of those things that at least you had the ability to get healthy and start to move forward again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so 2016, 2017, you said was a great year. Uh, then we're rolling into 2018. I mean, what was, as you said, it's a, it's a very quick process for qualifying to the Olympics. Does that, like, how much stress and how much, like, overthinking or mm-hmm. underthinking goes into that, what sounds like six-week-long process of trying to make the Olympics? Yeah, right. You, I think you just do your best to try to not think about it and not look at it that way. And kind yeah, of that's a good point. This. Yeah, treat it as any other year um, and just try to get control what you can control and see mm. your best. But I think there definitely is like a lot of heightened subconscious stress probably and anxiety and things like that. But um, yeah, I was just trying my best to manage that and did a pretty, pretty good job. Um, I, ended up, I got a podium in China on, at the second event of the year and that was like a pretty big relief because that was like not guaranteed going, but like pretty, pretty sure that I was mm-hmm. going to be good. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And what, what um, were you first? So, well, how many men did they take that year? Uh, we year? actually we took four and four men and four women last. Oh. Yeah, last winter. So Jeez, was, if only they did that the Olympics before. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's still so, cool, man. Though, and congratulations on that. So we're going to Pyeongchang. So you win and you you get a podium in China, and then uh, a little bit later that year we're going to Pyeongchang. Tell us about like what was it like when you first found out like obviously as you said once you got the podium it wasn't guaranteed but it was just mm-hmm. the next thing the next yeah. thing i mean what was it like when you finally saw like your name with the olympic rings next to it and you knew like okay i'm, I'm going to the olympics yeah it was like a lot of build-up we had our last world cup of the year in quebec and um after that event our coach kind of sat down with their whole team and kind of like let us know where we stood because we compete for a spot against like all the other teams so mm-hmm. skier cross slope style mm-hmm. you know all those so he was like, this is where it stands as of now. And he kind of, you know, he listed my teammate, Brad, myself, um, and then Casey and Emerson were two other guys on my team. And we were all like, Emerson was a little iffy, but we were all like pretty sure we were going. So it was mm-hmm. like, that was pretty crazy. But then I think we flew home the next day. And I think that night we got like the official call that we mm-hmm. were going. So that was like, yeah, pretty crazy. The whole week after that was pretty surreal. We were just like, we, you know getting we got like our uniform and mm-hmm. we we're doing like an olympic training camp in park city it was just like so cool that was a fun time that is pretty awesome yeah i mean it's it's got to be as you said surreal i mean just actually kind of that that in between time of yeah you're going to kind of not waiting but kind of mm-hmm. just waiting around to go to yeah, the olympics yeah. right like yeah, and then so cool. like tell us about like the the opening ceremonies and getting there i mean how how early do you get there what is that time like how was living in the village tell us all about that yeah, I think we went probably like a week before the ceremonies. Um, so yeah, we you like fly in, um, stay in this hotel in Seoul, and that's where like kind of you get all your um, all your gear. Like you mm-hmm. go into the basement of this hotel, and there's like a whole like Nike outlet they made mm-hmm. just for that, and like an Abercrombie. You know, it's crazy. Or a Polo, not Abercrombie. Um, 
And so that's where we got our opening ceremony uniforms, all our Nike gear. And then traveled up to Pyeongchang, like in the mountains. And we had like a day or two to just kind of acclimatize and hang and, you know, explore the village, which wasn't huge, but it was cool. You didn't really want to spend a ton of time outside because it was freezing. Mm -hmm. And and then we started like training. And I can't remember how many training days we had. We definitely had like a lot more time than we normally do. Probably like four training days to get used to the course and everything. And then we actually qualified the the day before, like the day of opening cer- ceremony. So we had our first competition run that day, and then pretty much like hopped on the bus, went to the village, changed, and went to the opening ceremony. So no that was a super cool day. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. So I guess your your competition is is pretty soon in the process. What um how long does it usually take? to acclimate yourself with a course like how different can some of these courses get because to me again just watching it on tv they all look very very similar yeah they all look the same but they actually ski like very different oh i Um, believe it absolutely yeah that's why i asked the question (laughs) right right right. yeah the snow condition and like the the way the moguls are formed uh the jump shape the jump side all that stuff like the steepness all that stuff comes into comes into play a lot Mm-hmm. Um, but we're used to only, you know, we travel on the World Cup circuit. You get two training days, and then it's go time. So we're pretty used to that. So, okay, yeah. so they gave, they gave you some extra time to actually. Get they did, yeah, a lot of extra time. It sounds like. Yeah, they did, which is kind of interesting. Like the whole format at the Olympics changes, which makes it kind of challenging. Like you have four, maybe now you have four days to train, so now you kind of have to like plan out how you're going to train. Mm-hmm. So you don't get tired and think about it, so your routine's a little bit thrown off. And then the same <laughs> with the competition. Like our the competition format changed a ton. Mm-hmm. of course right, yeah, right <laughs> you know right. you do something the same way for four years and now let's change it of course. yeah exactly yeah um so you do your qualification run and then you go right to the opening ceremony everyone that i have talked to so far that's been to opening ceremonies said it's one of the coolest experiences they ever had so tell us what you felt experienced what were the emotions that you felt uh going into seeing all the people i hear that walk is very long as well tell us all about that yeah, it was awesome. Like the, you start by just going into this like massive heated tent and like, every, you know, every, all the athletes are in there. So you're just like packed in with like everybody. There's a lot of like pin trading and things like that happening mm-hmm. in there. Um, and then they call you out by country and obviously we're pretty far down the list starting with the U there. So um, kind of like waited around while a bunch of people went through and I actually wish that they had like a screen up or something so you could have seen what was happening while everybody, like at the beginning because we didn't get to see any of that. But then we, yeah, we just started the walk. Like I was with all my teammates and then like in the bigger Team USA crowd, which is obviously huge. And it was super cool. Like the stadium was all lit up and you do like this big lap around the stadium with like all these other countries around you. It was, there was just so much energy. It was really cool. Yeah, I love watching that on TV. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully one day I'll see it in person, but on TV yeah. at least is, uh, is pretty sweet. And, uh, you know, you getting to experience it, I'm pretty jealous. I'm not going to lie to you, Troy. That, that, yeah. is, that is pretty incredible. So you, um, it sounds like your competition was very early in the process. I mean, what, what day do you guys finish? Like, what, tell, well, tell us about competing and, and, you know, how you felt and what was going on, what was going through your head. Like, did yeah. you – it was the Olympics, right? Like, like did mm-hmm. that affect you at all? Did you take that emotion and run with it? Or did you kind of just pretend like, hey, I've done this a bajillion times. This is no different than any other race. Yeah, kind of the second uh, approach, it was more like, you know, everything around the Olympics – is kind of crazy, but like everything at the mogul course is pretty much the same, you know, mm-hmm. like the format changed, but like all your, you know, your whole mentality and you've, yeah, you've been living on this mogul course for your whole life. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like too different. So on the training day or the qualifying day, I felt awesome. I had like a, a really good run. I actually qualified in fourth. So I was like set up really well for the mm-hmm. finals day. 
Um, and then the finals day rolled around and again, like felt great. Wasn't like too stressed or anything like that, but, um, that run just didn't really go my way. And, you know, I'm used like that just kind of how it goes sometimes. Like you have a good day one day and you have a bad day the next. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, the skiing part wasn't too different, like from the top of the course to the finish line wasn't too different, but then everything else is pretty crazy. Mm. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, the the actual act of skiing at this point, if it's not muscle memory, like right. you've probably done this a hundred thousand times, but you know, the, I feel like you'd be lying if you said, no, there was no, a little extra emotion, a little extra. Yeah, there definitely was a little bit know. extra for sure. But I think that's kind of good. Like that yeah. Helps for sure. yeah. Use it, utilize it, right. Push those butterflies mm-hmm. in that direction. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, you know, you, maybe you didn't finish first, but we still appreciate you going there and representing us. That's one thing that I get frustrated with is, um, you know, if, if an Olympian goes to the Olympics and they don't win a medal, did they really go? It's like, yeah, actually yeah. they did. And they were yeah. incredible and they are one of the best in the world, no matter what. I mean, what'd you finish top 10, top five? Uh, no, I qualified fourth and I think I was like top 20 somewhere. Yeah, that, I messed top up. 20 in the world. I mean, that's cool. I'll never be top 20 in the world in anything. So, you know, sincerely, right, right. yeah, you going and, and representing us and doing amazing. Um, and you know, you know, being there and, and representing USA. So we really appreciate that. So thank you for that, Troy. We do. Yeah, we really do. And then I guess, so because you're, event was so early it sounds like then you had a lot of time did you just I don't want to just just hang out but like what did you do while you were there around the rest of the games because not everybody gets to go to more than one game so how did you utilize that experience and really Mm -hmm. get the most out of it yeah I I tried to just go to like as many events as possible and watch them all so I think I watched like I watched speed short track speed skating which is probably my favorite that was super cool to watch we watched a women's USA versus Canada hockey game Oh, that's um, awesome. But the gold medal like, game? Think, no, it was before. It was kind of like the preliminary They were both game. awesome yeah. games, so it is yeah, what it still is. That's cool. still super cool. Yep. And then what else did we see? Oh, I saw like slope style, luge. Uh, trying to remember what else. I definitely saw one or two more. But anyway, I, I only stayed for a week. And then my buddy Casey, my teammate Casey, and I left. We had more World Cups, and we had one in Japan following the Olympics. So we went early to the north island of japan and skied powder mm. for like a week and a half which is like the best thing ever that's, that's pretty awesome you compress yeah yes yes i'm sure that's an easy way to just hang out so um and while you were there were you trying to just meet as many other athletes as possible again it sounds like you had a little bit of time after your event was that one thing that you really tried to do is just try and connect with athletes that you really don't have the opportunity to ever see really yeah, we tried, but it was kind of trickier for us because, like you said, we were so early that, you know, we competed the first or second day of, like, after opening ceremonies, and then we were done, but everybody else is still, like, in mm-hmm. training mode, so people weren't really trying to, like, hang at that point, so mm-hmm. um, we tried, but we were, it was more like us kind of traveling with our team and a couple of the other, like, the Canadian mobile team and stuff like that, hanging out with those people. Okay, that's still pretty sweet. Hanging out with you know your friends at, at, a, yeah, at a pretty yeah, cool yeah. event, you know, it could be worse, right? For sure, yeah, yeah. We we've all we've got along with like all the other countries super well, so we have good friends all over the world, which which was super cool. Very lucky, man. Very well. I don't believe in luck. You deserve it. You worked hard and you got there. Um, but that is that is pretty sweet. That is pretty yeah. sweet. So, um, it sounds like you had a pretty good time at the 2018 games. I'm definitely mm-hmm. very jealous. Uh, hopefully, I can get to one someday. But um, yeah, we've got a couple coming up here in the yeah, year. yeah. Here, there's one in like you know next yearish, 18 months, something yeah, like that. Yeah, Let's that see if I make, if I I make enough money. I'm waiting for for sure. But I'm waiting for LA 2028, right? 2028 LA, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds right. And then yeah. I think like that Salt Lake one, I think could be coming up soon. Yeah, that, I think that would be 2026. So if they're they're yeah. both out there, I, I mean, yeah. I'm just a plane right away at this point. I know enough people that live in LA that 
Yeah, yeah. They'll shack me up if they're still there for in eight years. But yeah. um, so you know, as you said, you then went to a a World Cup event. Um, as I said in the intro, you have actually recently retired. So at what mm-hmm. point did you realize, like, hey, maybe maybe this competition is uh, is uh, is just enough for me? Yeah, it was there. It was after the games in Seoul. Um, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but it was like everything had built up, was building up to that moment, like going to the Olympics. And after it was like, well, okay, I kind of like got that. I don't feel like I want to, I don't feel like I need to keep like just grinding and doing this. I, I had been going to Alaska every spring um, to ski big mountain and ski backcountry. And that was like a really big growing passion of mine. So mm-hmm. in Seoul, I was like, ah, I think that that might be it for me. I'll finish up this year. And then I went to Japan with my teammate Casey and just skied like really deep powder and that was like oh yeah i'm for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. this instead yeah. so are you on the united states big mountain team i'm not no there actually isn't there's a free ride world tour but it's not like a team thing oh okay, okay. Um, but i'm not going to compete in that i'm just kind of traveling with a buddy all season filming kind of doing more like content cool. type stuff and just on our own program exploring the mountains with our like heck, snowmobiles and stuff yeah heck yeah man i actually had the opportunity to speak with michael mon who is uh does the free ride for snowboard um, yeah, yeah. He, he does some pretty incredible stuff and i'm surprised that sport isn't a bigger because to me like i don't go skiing but what does everybody do when they go skiing they just go down the mountain right yeah, like totally, yeah. point so I, i'm very curious right. why that isn't a bigger um you know discipline within the the skiing world yeah, it's kind of a newer, it's definitely like one of the newer ones, like the big mountain stuff is newer. And a lot of times it's hard to see, like if it's at a ski resort, it's going to be at the steepest, gnarliest part of the ski resort. And most people can't like, won't be going there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And um, they do actually like broadcast them all live from like helicopters and stuff so you can watch it. But I just think that it's something that maybe most people aren't able to, like it's not invisible, so it's not huge yet, but the backcountry industry and skiing is growing like exponentially. Like that's where all the sales are. So I think that it'll be more and more popular as time goes on. Heck yeah, man. Hopefully you're a, uh, you're a trendsetter and uh, we'll keep pushing it in that direction. I love it. That is, yeah. that is incredible. So um, with retirement, as you said, you kind of explained a little bit, you know, what you're going to be doing now that you have kind of officially said, no, thank you to, to mogul com- competition anymore. I'm sure you mm-hmm. still go down, yeah. uh, go down some bumps every now and then, but For sure. what up? With with that, I mean, obviously, you know, as athletes, as we spoke about before, your your career usually comes to an end a little bit sooner than someone like me who just sits in front of a computer all day. Right. Hopefully, hopefully it does. At least, no offense. Um, but like, what what is your what are some of the things you're looking forward to now that you are retired? Like other career paths, other ideas, um, other other ways to to make money but still stay in the sport. What are some of the things that are rumbling around your head that you're going to try and do uh, moving forward? Yeah, it all happened really fast for me, but it was great. Like I never, I think a lot of people try to hang on to the athlete, like to their sport until, you know, until they like possibly can and kind of mm-hmm. like are just hanging on by a thread at the end. And I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to like give it as the best of a shot as I had and then kind of move on and see what else I could do. So I just finished up my first semester of like actually attending class at the University of Utah. So I'm going to the Eccles School of Business. Um, so that's been a really cool experience to go to school, like to actually sit down in a classroom at school. Um, and I'm really excited about pursuing that. And then this backcountry skiing thing is like a really nice way for me to kind of transition from like full-time competitive skiing to, you know, the real world. Um, so I'm really excited for this winter to just like take time and ski for fun, ski for me and film some cool stuff and hit some cliffs and things like that. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just going to kind of see 
keep hitting the school thing as hard as I can and doing as well as I can and kind of see what kind of opportunities open themselves. Congratulations, man. I mean, getting into the real world, it sounds great until, you know, you finally start to do it. So good luck with all that. No, I kid, I kid, I kid. And that is incredible. Congratulations. That is so awesome. Um, getting to do your thing, getting to do what you want, getting to school, um, University of Utah. I mean, you're, you're a Ute now. I mean, I think that that's pretty impressive in itself. So congratulations on all that, man. And we, uh, we absolutely wish you luck there. So um, yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens from there. But um, one last question I wanted to talk about a little bit. I know you said that you run a, um, a charity golf event, a, a charity, uh, correct? Yeah, a golf mm-hmm. event. Yeah, yeah, golf tournament. Tell, us, yeah, yeah. tell us a little about that up in, up in Bethel. I have to assume it's not anytime soon unless right. snow golf is a thing. I'm not totally sure. You tell me, but uh, tell yeah, us a little no. about that. So, yeah, every fall um, I've been doing, I think a Columbus Day weekend is when we do it, but I've been doing a golf tournament here in my hometown in Bethel, Maine. Um, until this past year, it was always kind of to benefit me so that I could ski all year because as Olympic athletes, we don't make any money and we often have to pay for it all on, my, on our own. So I was having to raise like 30 grand a year to just to be able to ski. Um, so this year after retirement, um, after putting all the work in and getting the event off the ground and, and getting it successful, we were like, well, why would we just end this now? Why can't we just keep running it and kind of give it back? So that's what we did. We ran the golf tournament and went really well. And we gave the money to the Sunday River Ski and Snowboard Club, which is the local ski club here in Bethel where I'm from. And, and they've like been a huge supporter of me over the years. So it seemed like a, a good natural place to, uh, to give it back. So I'm super psyched to be able to do that and hope we can keep it going. Heck yeah, why not? People love golf, right? Yeah, like, why yeah, not? It's right. fun. Like, I'm not good at it, but shoot, yeah, I'll drive around a golf cart for four hours a day. Like, let's, yeah, let's yeah. go. Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Very cool, man. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much again, Troy. This was a blast. I had a wonderful time. Troy Murphy, USA Skiing, Moguls, 2018 Olympian, recently retired, now skiing down mountains, taking videos, doing stuff at college. Congratulations on all that stuff, man. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Troy Murphy. Uh, absolutely incredible interview. He's such a cool dude. As I said, he's got a lot going on. Uh, we, we wish him luck with everything moving forward. I think he's incredible. Thankfully, uh, his retirement was uh, okay, I guess, from his standpoint. He seems pretty all right with it. Uh, so definitely definitely happy for him, and hopefully everything is, uh, is, is what he's looking for moving forward. I think he's a really great guy, and, and uh, wish him all the best. So uh, if you guys don't mind, please rate, review, share, subscribe, do anything you can to get this out there a little bit more. As I said, really looking to help as many of our Olympic athletes out as possible. So I think this is an easy, easy way for you guys to help. Just give us a nice review, hopefully five stars. If not, I would love some feedback. That way I can make this better for you, the listener. And one more time, thank you to launchingpodcasts.com. If you go over there, you can learn exactly how I created my podcast step-by-step, super, super easy. Um, And you get $50 off if you use promo code Mike at checkout. So thank you all so much for listening. Sincerely appreciate it. Sincerely thank Troy. And other than that, I hope you have a wonderful day.